Welcome to West Haven Campus. My name is Ross Anderson. I'm one of our teaching pastors here at Alpine Church, and we are in the third of four weeks in the prodigal series. The third week, now, what we've done, really the story, Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, it falls into three parts. And the first part we saw a couple weeks ago was really spoken for the benefit of rule breakers. If you're a rule breaker, you've gotten maybe yourself into a little trouble in life from that. Um, the message for rule breakers, based on that son, you know, he, he didn't want anybody to tell him what to do. So he went out and just did his own thing, and pretty soon that didn't work out that well. And what he learned, and that we learned through him, is that you can never go too far so that you're beyond the grace and mercy of God. You can never go so far that you can't come back to God's embrace again. And then part two we saw last week is really about the father. And, and we said that the story really could be called the story of the prodigal father. Because he's lavish, he's extravagant in his love. And he, the father is really the core piece of the story. It's really about him because the, the father in the story tells us about the nature of Father God. What God is like. And, and it's the hinge of the story because this Father God interacts first with the one son, the rule breaker, but he has another son. And in the third part of the story, the father interacts with the, the, the older son who is the rule keeper. And so we're going to ask, we've asked you throughout the series to decide, you know, am I more of a rule breaker? Am I more of a rule keeper, right? And um, I'm not even going to ask for hands because all the rule keepers will raise their hand and all the rule breakers won't because you don't want to play by my rules, right? So honestly, to tell you the truth, I am a rule keeper, by personality and also by my upbringing. I was raised in a, in a very strict religious uh, home setting and where keeping the rules was really important. And um, so that, that's, that's kind of what came naturally to me. But even though I was keeping the religious rules, in retrospect, I, I, I came to understand that I really was far from God. And that might be the surprise here of the story is that a rule keeper can be just as far from God as a rule breaker is. And that, that's what Jesus is trying to convey to his audience there. The thing is, though, that sometimes we read this story, and this third part, the older brother, the rule keeper, I think we see it sometimes as an afterthought. We see it as an anticlimax. Where the big climax of the story is this prodigal son, he's hit rock bottom and he comes humbly home and, and his father embraces him with compassion and mercy and has a big party. And, and so, and then, oh yeah, there's this other guy too in the story. And so we, we treat him maybe as, he's kind of overlooked, but I want you to understand today that that third part of the story is really crucial. It's not an afterthought. It might, in fact, be the very point that the story is leading toward. It might be what the story is all about. Maybe it's not so much about the rule breaker. Maybe the story is really about the rule keeper. At least it, this, this part of the story is crucial for the audience that Jesus was addressing that day. We see that audience at the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 15. The whole story is in Luke chapter 15. And at the very beginning, it sets the stage Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, tax collectors, by the way, if you work at IRS, it's okay. 
Tax collectors, by the way, in that culture, they were the closest, an equivalence in our culture was probably organized crime, mafioso or whatever. And so these are bad dudes and notorious sinners. And the beef that the religious people had, the rule keepers had, was that Jesus was spending an awful lot of time with those bad people. Now, in response to that, then Jesus tells these three stories, the two short parables in, in the first that we looked at before, and then this whole story about the prodigal son. And you'll notice that Jesus does not respond to this critique by saying, oh, I am so sorry, I have really blown it. He does not respond by saying, oh, yeah, you, got, you guys, I'm so proud of you for keeping all the rules, and man, you have just nailed this relationship with God, you've really got this down. Good for you. But no, he tells them this story to totally challenge their entire framework of relating to God. He says, everything you think about God and your relationship with God is backwards and upside down, and I'm going to tell a story that illustrates that for you. And so we're going to look at five marks, five characteristics of a rule keeper who might be far from God. Now, not every rule keeper is far from God to be sure. But some are, and some can be, and that's the older brother that we see in the story today. And as we look at these, as we look at his interaction with his father and his response to the father in the story, then we're going to see how a bona fide rule keeper really can be alienated from God. Even a religious rule keeper can be alienated from God. And as we fill out this outline in the next few minutes, I'd like to encourage you to be asking God, is there anything there that has my name on it? And in fact, beyond that, let me take a step beyond that. I'd really encourage you to talk to someone in your life that you trust, to talk to your spouse, to talk to the people in your small group or maybe with a mentor and and to say, look, help me evaluate my life. Am I being honest and real? Am I a rule keeper who demonstrates some of the marks of being far from God. That would be a great conversation, a very meaningful conversation um, for you to have as you go forward from here. So let me go through these five things. The first one, you may be a rule keeper who's far from God if you work for yourself, not for the benefit of others. Okay, so you remember, let me set the stage. So all right, the, the younger son, the prodigal, take, had took, taken his father's inheritance before his father died. He asked for the inheritance. That was like an incredible disrespectful insult to his father. He says, I wish you were dead. I don't really care about you. I just care about what you have and what I want. And he took that and he, and he went as far away in the story as he could get from his family. And he proceeded to burn through that cash in wild living until the bottom fell out. He had nothing left. He was reduced in his circumstances. He was hungry. He was t- working a, a mean, the worst possible job in society. And, and, and it says he came to his senses. One day he realized, oh, I've messed up. Look at what I've done to my life. And it says that he, he thought about home. And he realized, if I humble myself and I go home to my father... Maybe, just maybe, he will receive me back as a servant. And if I could even live as a servant, at least I'd have food to eat every day. And he headed home. And then the father received him against all expectations. It would have been perfectly normal in that culture for the father to say, No, I want nothing to do with you. But the father received him with love and compassion. And he hugged him and ran out to meet him. And he then 
received him not as a servant. He said, no, I'm not going to have you back on those terms. You're my son. Received him that way, and he said, let's have a party. We've been storing up some food. Let's just use it. And that's where then the story shifts to the older son. That's where the older son now walks onto the stage, as it were, and, and we see in verses 25 through 27, excuse me, the older son was out in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his return. A couple of things here. This is a subtle point, but it looks like the older brother's pretty oblivious to what's going on in the whole household, in the whole community. Like, is he the only one who doesn't know what's going on, right? Like what happened that day? And I think Jesus points this out for a purpose to kind of show us a little bit how out of step this son is from his father and what matters to his father. Now, it doesn't really make sense in, re- in the real world that he would be so clueless because as the older son, he'd have his hands in everything in the family business. He'd be the, the manager of the business, in a sense, under his father. And so Jesus' point here is to illustrate by this little detail of the story how out of touch he, he is from his father, from his father's heart, how isolated he is from the whole family and the community. Now, when I say that the mark of, of a rule keeper who's far from God is that you work for yourself and not for the benefit of others. Let me tell you what I mean by that. That'll become more, more clear as the story unfolds. But let me set it up for you so that you can see it as it happens in the next few verses as we work through that. For this guy, we're going to see that his labor in the family business, all the work, the investment that he made, was not really because he loved his father, because he loved his family. It was really about establishing his own value and his own importance. He was doing his job to be noticed, to be admired, to be rewarded, maybe even out of duty, but it was not out of love, we're going to see. And, you know, instead of the benefit of others, so we're going to see that he didn't really care about his younger brother. That becomes clear as we go. And, and it's possible, I mean, you're going to see, I think, that he didn't even really care that much about his father. So remember back when the younger brother asked for his inheritance, what he revealed was he only cared about what his father had and what he could benefit from. Well, we're going to see the older son's really no different from that. Now, take shape in a different way, but the heart attitude of the two sons is really pretty much the same about that. And so, if you think about the rule keepers and the religious leaders that Jesus was addressing that day, as we look through the whole New Testament, we see that they were self-righteous, they were self-sufficient, they were proud of what they did for God. And so, Jesus tells a story, another, just a couple of chapters later, in Luke chapter 18, he tells a story about a Pharisee who went to the temple to pray, and he says, the Pharisee prayed like this, he says, God, thank you that I'm not like these other people. They're cheaters, and they're adulterers, and they're lowlifes, and they don't, they don't really do what you want, but thank you, that, thank you that I fast twice a week, and I give one-tenth of my money to the poor. And can you imagine praying a prayer like that? It shows the heart of the rule keeper. And the scorecard that rule keepers often keep compared to other people. And so, if you're a, a rule keeper, 
then, then today we want you to ask, is my compliance, is it really for myself? Is it for my reputation, for my worthiness, for my rewards and my blessings, or really is it for the blessing and benefit of others? That's number one thought to think about. Now here's another one that we see come out of the story, that, that you might be a rule keeper who's actually far from God if you get mad at God for his extravagance toward other people. Sometimes rule keepers like resent what God gives to someone else. So let's say you came home from work and your family was given a big party and you, know, you heard the music playing as you drove in into the garage and you go, wow, what's going on? And well, How would you respond to that? Well, I, you probably think you'd probably just go in and wash up and, and get ready and, and join the fun, right? That's not what this older brother did. As soon as he's confronted with the reality of what's going on, um, he's not having anything of it. And so you see in verse 28, the older brother was angry and would not go in. You can see the, the reason why in verse 27 where the servants tell him what's going on and why it's going on. And see, he said, well, my, my brother's back. That, that hit him pretty hard to realize that. He said, how could, how could that be? That the, the party's for him? How could my father do that? How could my father celebrate this disrespectful, wayward, profligate son? And when he thought about that, that just made him mad. How could God do that? We're going to see later on kind of why that happens. But I want you to look at the whole chapter. And in the context of the chapter, there's these three parables, right? And Jesus told the first two parables to set up this third one. But all of them have the same basic message. So in the first parable, he said there's a shepherd who went out. He had 100 sheep. He lost one. He left the 99. He went out to find the one sheep. It was valuable to him. And when he found it, he rejoiced. Brought it back, he invited his friends to come over and have a party. The second story, a woman lost a coin, 10 coins. When he found it, she, it says she rejoiced. She invited her friends to come over, neighbors to come over and, and celebrate with her. And in those two short stories, Jesus opens for us a little window into the culture of heaven. Because he says in heaven, the angels rejoice just like that whenever Someone who is lost repents and returns to God, welcomes him with love and compassion, and, and, and he gives him all the marks of sonhood, and the robe and the ring and all the rest. And he says, we're going to have a, a blowout party. We're going to invite the whole community, and, and we're going to celebrate my son has been found. Did you look at Luke chapter 15, you know what stands out? There's only one character in all those stories who's not rejoicing, not celebrating. Who is that? Right, the older brother, he stands out like a sore thumb because his attitude is so different from the whole emotional tone of everything that's going on in this chapter. And so Jesus, I think he's nudging the Jewish leaders who asked him, that, who complained in the very first verses, he's nudging them to say, look, you should be rejoicing that I'm spending time with tax collectors and notorious sinners. You shouldn't be bent about that. You should be excited about that because that's the heart of God. See, rule keepers often resent the grace of God towards rule breakers because we value ourselves so much more highly than others. And again, we're going to see in a minute the shape that that took in this older brother's behavior and his attitude. So you might be a rule keeper who's far from God if you're mad at how generous God is to other people 
But this one follows right on the heels of that. Not only that, but you're blind to how generous and extravagant God is toward you. So Jesus is, he wants to point out throughout this whole parable, he's, he's drawing connections between the two brothers. He says, you know, their, their behavior was completely different. But he's going to show us that their hearts are really, were really kind of the same. And so he's pointing out the hypocrisy of rule keepers feeling superior to rule breakers. And so, because here's the thing, when, when that son came home and the party, and he, when he refused to go in, he was actually acting very disrespectfully toward his father. A couple things going on. He, he took an internal family matter, and by his public refusal to enter the party, he made that private family matter public. That brought disgrace on his father and his family. And then along with that, this is, this is a, a spiteful rejection of his father's generosity, his father's hospitality. He says, I don't want to have anything to do with what my father has just done, inviting the whole community. And so he's causing shame to fall on his father. You see, that's just what the younger son had done when he demanded his inheritance and took off. They both caused shame to fall on the Father. And so Jesus is saying, look, rule keepers, you may not be really any better than the rule breakers are. You may be keeping score, but maybe you're using the wrong scorecard because your heart is the same as them. And the older son's offense against his father here actually shines brighter as the, when it shines a brighter light on the father's own mercy and generosity to him. And so you see there, the older brother was angry, wouldn't go in, but his father came out and begged him. His father came out and pleaded tenderly with him and, and pursued his son. Just the way the shepherd went out and pursued that lost sheep. The woman pursued that lost coin. We're see, the, Jesus is showing the rule keepers that maybe they also need to be pursued by God and brought home. And so the father overlooks the grievance, the, the grievance to his honor, the disrespect that was paid to him in that culture. That could be grounds for uh, disinheritance. The father overlooks that. And he leaves his place of honor as the host. He leaves all of his guests behind, you know, really kind of in a way snubbing them in order to go out and, and find and to connect with and plead with his son. And he humbles himself and he sacrifices his own honor than to go out and to try to be reconciled to this older son. And yet the older son remained hard-hearted and blind toward the mercy and the generosity that his father had shown him his whole life, but also in that very moment, in that moment of disrespect. He was blind to God's extravagance toward him. Now, as I was thinking about this, the question came to my mind, and that what is it that makes rule keepers often so clueless about God's generosity in our lives? And I want you to listen carefully to the fourth mark. I think this fourth thing is probably the heart of the message that Jesus is trying to communicate because it reveals a very common trait of rule keepers, whether religious or not, but maybe even particularly religious rule keepers. And so here's the fourth mark 
that you actually may be a rule keeper who's far from God if you look at relationships transactionally. You look at relationships transactionally. So in this, in this next verse, the older brother's heart is laid bare by his response to his father. So, right, the, the son refuses to go in. He's angry. The father comes out and begs him. But here's his answer to that. All these years, Father, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Can you relate with his, with his complaint? It didn't seem fair. It didn't seem right. Because... He's reduced his relationship with his father to a transactional relationship. But first, just a couple of points we see here. First of all, we see his disrespect again towards his father. He did not address his father with a title of respect as would have been expected in that culture. He didn't even say father or sir. He just spewed, just jumped right in, bam. Like, whoa, that was a slap in his father's face to treat him in that way. I know that's a little bit foreign in our culture today, right? But in that setting, that would have been an insult to his father. And so even as Jesus makes the comparison, even the rule breaker, when he comes home in verse 21 to seek a restitution, he said even he treats his father with respect in that setting. And so, okay, who, who's the worst one here? And then, you know, you can see here that the older brother did not even want a relationship with his younger brother. He, he says, this son of yours. He doesn't say my brother. He says, this son of yours, father, it's kind of your fault. He's your responsibility. I don't want anything to do with him. But the main insight I think we see from these verses is that this, the kind of relationship that the son had with his father, what was that like? And I want, you to feel the, I want you to feel the tension. I want you to feel the alienation that is developed between them in the, in the heart of the son toward his father because his relationship was transactional. And what I mean by that, a transactional relationship is based on an unspoken contract that you have between yourself and that other person. It's an expectation that you have. You say, well, I'm going to do one thing for you. If I do this for you, then I expect that you're going to do that for me. Right? I'm going to do X, and that means that you owe me Y. Right? So it reduces the relationship to a trade, to a deal. Right? And so it reduces the value of the relationship. It's not about who that person is and their worth to me. The value of the relationship is reduced to what I can get out of it or what it, how it can benefit me. Right? And we all know what that means in, in everyday life. But you see that in a family that this is the heart of the son toward his father. That's why he's emphasizing in these verses everything that he's done for his father. He says, I slayed for you all these years. Look at all I've done for you. And he says, man, I, I've never hesitated to do anything you asked me to do. You know, he's, he's emphasizing all that he's done. So he says, look, I've held up my end of the bargain. And that's why he's so upset with a party being thrown for his younger brother because his younger brother never held up his end of the bargain, did he? In fact, far from it. He totally let down what a son should have been like in that culture. He totally failed 
to hold up his end. And you know what? The older brother is upset because the father did not hold up his end of the bargain either. He says, look, Father, I did all this for you, and, and you never even let me have a, a young goat to have a feast with my friends. So, Father, I did my end. I did my part. You didn't do your part because you never repaid me for what I've done for you. And even worse than that, Father, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain because you provided this feast for this younger son who had never done anything right for you. And so he felt like he deserved it more than the other son deserved it. That's the nature of a transactional relationship. He's keeping score, you see, and, and his score is higher. It, you know, when we keep score, our score is always going to be higher, right? Because we're going to set rules that, that make us come out favorably, right? So anyway, the point is that this older brother has completely missed his father's heart in all of this. He, he became entitled and resentful because of his scorecard. He says, look, I'm the ideal servant. I deserve something from you. You owe me something. And the father didn't want another servant. He had plenty of servants. The father wanted a son. And in fact, we saw that when the prodigal returns, the, fa the father says, I'm not going to treat you as a servant. I'm going to only receive you as a son. You see, a lot of religious people approach God transactionally, don't we? You know, if you keep all the commandments, then you're entitled to the blessings, right? Were, were, were you taught that? If you give financially, then God is supposed to repay you financially. You give, you give to get. If you serve God, then God is supposed to reward you with an easy, comfortable life. Right? That's the unspoken expectation that we often... Now, God never promised that, but when we, when we think transactionally, we think, well, this is what God owes me, and then when that blessing or that reward doesn't come, we get mad at God. Or when somebody else gets the blessing or the reward that we feel like we deserve because we were so faithful, we get, we get mad at God about that. But here, understand this from the parable. God doesn't want a contract with you. That's not how it works. God's not asking you to sign a deal with Him. What He wants from you is in a relationship of intimacy and connection and love. That's what God desires. And that we see that, yeah, we do serve. We do obey. But not because of what we think God is supposed to do for us. No, we serve God, we obey Him as an overflow of our love for Him because He's been so good to us and we, just, we love Him so much. See, that's the difference between a servant and a son. I know a lot of religious people only understand servanthood. They don't understand sonhood or daughterhood. And maybe that's because, you know, they, it suits them well because they, maybe, they, maybe they like the strokes they get from being the rule keeper. Maybe they think it, it makes them significant or makes them better than other people. It stokes their ego. Or maybe it's just because it's all they've ever been taught in the religious system maybe that formed them. That's why I want to encourage you today, don't settle for a servant relationship with God. 
Jesus invites you to be a daughter, to be a son of him, and all that that means. And so really that leads to the, the final mark of a rule keeper who might be far from God is that is you stay on the outside. So Jesus ends this story in a very provocative way. It's so interesting to me. Look at verse 31 and 32. His father says to him, Look, my dear son, you've always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. See, the father's trying to win his son's heart. My dear son, he speaks to him tenderly. It's not transactional. He says, everything I have has always been yours. It's like, son, you don't realize if you wanted to have a feast with your friends, just grab a goat and go do it. It's always been yours all the time. It's not like you had to earn this from me or that that you had to be worthy of it. See, look how the father talks about the relationship. He talks about it in terms of death and life, in terms of being lost and found. He doesn't say, we had to celebrate this happy day because your brother passed the test. He doesn't say, we had to celebrate. We were forced to say all we could do because your younger brother proved worthy. No, he was dead. He's come back to life again. That's the heart of the father. That's the difference between a servant and a son. Now, here's what's interesting. I think that Jesus never tells us what the older brother chose. Did he relent and come into the party? Did he have a change of heart? Or did he stay outside angry and sullen and estranged from his father and from his family. When the parable ends, he's still on the outside. But it's left open a little bit. Now, we saw earlier, okay, again, the parallel between the two. We saw earlier the younger son came to his senses, and he humbled himself, and he turned away from his wild living, and he he returned to his father, his father's home in humility. And so the question now, is the older son going to come to his senses? And is he going to humble himself and turn from his self-righteousness and his bitterness and humbly return to his father's embrace? Jesus leaves the story hanging for our benefit. Something for us to think about. If you're a rule keeper, what would you have done if you were in that younger son's shoes? And his hearers that day, he's challenging them, Do you love the people that God loves? Do you have the heart that God has? You say you have this great relationship with God, and yeah, you keep all the rules, but does your heart, does your attitude mirror the heart of God himself? And again, if you're the rule keeper today, I think it's fair for us to ask ourselves, do I have the heart of God? Am I in touch with what matters to him? Am I keeping the rules because I really love God Or am I keeping the rules to try to get something from him? See, rule keepers can be as far from God as rule breakers. And if that's you, you know, today you don't have to stay on the outside. The Father invites you to come in to the party. But it takes repentance. We saw repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. We saw that the the 
it, it takes repentance from every one of us, maybe not from wild living like the younger son, because maybe that hasn't been you. Maybe you never went down that path. But it takes repentance maybe from heart attitudes that keep you from intimacy with God. Heart attitudes like self-righteousness, entitlement, resentment, self-sufficiency. And for all of us, no matter what our path in life has been, it takes humbling ourselves and admitting, if you're the rule keeper, admitting, look, that keeping rules can't save you. And to be honest, keeping rules doesn't really that important to God. It doesn't win favor with God. So you know what? Come on in and join the party today.